Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and journalist Andrew Gumbel. His new book is Won't Lose This Dream, How an Upstart Urban University Rewrote the Rules of a Broken System. One public university is downtown one public university in downtown Atlanta, Georgia State University, stands out as a trailblazer that has turned itself upside down to deliver unparalleled e- equity to its students, regardless of wealth or skin color. GSU started out in the segregation era as an unglamorous, whites-only commuter school and, as recently as 2003, was failing to graduate two-thirds of its students. Yet, in recent years, it has erased each and every achievement gap and dramatically improved the prospects of all of its students, most of whom are from lower-income families. Andrew Gumbel tells the extraordinary story of how GSU tore up the rule book on education, helping realize lifelong dreams of graduating from college. For more than 20 years, he's worked as a foreign correspondent for Reuters, The Guardian, and The Independent. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Andrew. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Okay, so let's start this out. GSU, how has, what distinguishes Georgia State University, let's say, from other universities. Uh, I know one of the things, and I I guess I alluded to that in the intro, is that it centers around putting students' needs first, which I always thought most universities did, but apparently not. This is something unique to Georgia State. You would think that universities were there to serve their students, but, you know, too often it's the other way around, that, um, you know, Schedules are, are set to suit professors, not the students, uh, faculty chairs, deans, um, and there's a very high tolerance for students, you know, floundering and dropping out, and a reluctance to get to grips with the underlying causes. Uh, what was different about Georgia State was a couple of things. One was um, the prospect of the university really going into an alarming decline, especially after the 2008 uh, economic collapse. Uh, state money was not coming in. Graduation rates were not good. Um, and they realized they needed to do something dramatic. What most public universities did at the time was to say, because the job market is bad, more people are applying to come to college, we have high you know, numbers of people applying, we will just raise our admission standards and hope that if we have, quote unquote, better students, that they'll stick around longer and graduate in higher numbers and we'll earn money from the tuition fees as a result. Uh, Georgia State didn't really have that luxury because um, the only place, if they would, if they tried to become, you know, a, an institution that that demanded higher uh, high school results from their students, they would bump into competitive um, obstacles from the University of Georgia, which is just 70 miles away, the flagship of the state system, and Georgia Tech, which is just up the street, just a few blocks away. Uh, they're never going to be able to compete with them. Uh, so they needed to find another model. And they were fortunate that they had somebody who had just started an administrative job that became a kind of hub for all the student success programs, a man by the name of Timothy Rennick, um, a former religious studies professor, who discovered that if you could create data models with pilot projects and show faculty and deans and the university leadership that you could make a substantial difference, then you could win them over and you could expand those pilot projects and and, and bring them up to scale so they would help all students. And some of those pilot projects were about reorganizing core schedules, 
some of them were about the style of teaching. One of the things he discovered was that, you know, intro math classes were a place where a lot of people were failing. And if you put students initially in front of a computer and let them learn at their own pace, then it didn't matter if their high schools had not given them the right preparation. They could catch up and then they would be in a position to thrive and, and, and do well in all the subsequent classes. Uh, it took a long time for the math department to come around to that, um, but they did because the data showed that it worked. Um, the, some of it was also to do with transforming the advising system. Advising at, at Georgia State, like at a lot of universities, was, was reactive, which is to say the students would come in when they felt they had a problem. And in practice, that meant that the very high-achieving students were coming in because they were worried about everything and very diligent. And then the students who were failing came in because they had to, you know, if they were on academic probation. But the vast majority of students, the middle chunk, which came to be known as the murky middle, were not being seen. Nobody was talking to them. They were having to fend for themselves. They were ending up in the wrong majors. They were wasting time doing courses that they ended up dropping, and then they'd have to start again with something else. And too many of them were running out of time, running out of money, and not finishing their degrees. Yeah, can uh, we stop there? Because I want to ask system. you that about the money. I mean, a lot yeah. of these students were strapped for yeah. money. And as you've said in your book, I mean, they're working two jobs, trying to go to school. And then they wait till the last minute uh, uh, before these programs were instituted. And then they suddenly, they they have to drop out because they can't pay the 100 or $200 that they need to continue. And that's a huge problem in many universities, uh, similar to Georgia State. So, how do they do? How do they? Ha- what did they do? What did the university do to att- to um, solve this this issue, this problem with these students? Right. Well, so this is one of our more celebrated programs that has since been copied. You know, a number of other institutions. As you say, they realized that a lot of students were failing to register for class, um, and they weren't short of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. They, on average, they were just a few hundred dollars short, and they just couldn't make the payment by the strict, and Georgia has very strict deadlines for making tuition payments. And so students who were maybe a semester or two away from graduating academically, they were doing fine, suddenly weren't able to finish their degrees. And what they decided to do um, was to institute a system of microgrants. So they would just cover the cost of whatever student was short. If they were $300, $600, $900 short in the university accounts, so they would just zero out the account. There was no application form necessary because the, student, uh, the, the university was already on top of the data. They knew who owed what. They knew who was doing well in their classes. They simply informed the student, please come to class on Monday. You know, your debt has been taken care of. And when they started the program in 2012, people thought this was a hoax um, and they would hang up the phone and then the university would have to call back and say, no, 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 it's really true. Check your university account. It, it, it's all good. Um, and the brilliance of the scheme is that it more than paid for itself because the university would stump up, you know, I think an average of $900 per student and they would get back five, six, seven thousand dollars worth of um, grant money, tuition and so on that would have otherwise been lost if the student had just dropped out because they carried on, they graduated. So the graduation rate went up and the university made money as well. Uh, so, all right, no, that's how they tackle the money problem. Uh, let's, and you've covered a, a couple of the issues. So, so what else, what, uh, what other, how else are they performing that's unique, the university, I'm saying, that's unique to Georgia State, that other universities are just sort of like back in the 
dinosaur age, it seems to me, as you're describing what they're doing at Georgia State University. I mean, there really have to be some fundamental changes, which they've done and other universities are just not doing, and why? Right. Well, I think, you know, I think just to take a step back from the individual programs, you know, I think at a lot of universities, um, there is a mentality problem. There is a sense that, you know, students from certain backgrounds are just doomed to fail in high numbers, and that's just the way it is. And the Georgia State success story has really given the lie to that thinking and has forced a lot of other institutions to think, well, maybe we shouldn't just assume they're going to fail in high numbers. Maybe we shouldn't just tolerate this. Um, and then the other you know, thing that Georgia State did, which is really fundamental, is to have the guts to completely transform the leadership structure in a way that is unfamiliar at most universities. Most universities are really run by the deans, uh, the faculty at the different colleges. You know, they set the schedules for the classes. They set priorities. Often their priority is not on the undergraduates at all. It's on graduate students. It's on research. Um, and the university leadership, you know, will come to them cap in hand and say, pretty please, could you think about doing this a slightly different way? And the deans will just turn around and say, mm, not this year. Um, what Georgia State was able to do, because they had uh, a pretty bold university president who came in in the wake of the 2008 recession, was they decided to completely reset their priorities. Um, and it was almost a stealth operation. They, they had a committee that decided they were going to draw up, you know, what the university was going to look like for the next 10 years. And the, the administrators who were already at work on the student success project managed to slip in a lot of the things that they wanted to get done um, into the plan. It went almost unnoticed because everybody was focused on other things. They were focused on research. They were focused on, you know, transforming um, Georgia State's uh, profile within the urban life of Atlanta, whatever it was. No one was really paying attention. This plan gets instituted. Suddenly, everything depends on it, you know, budget. Um, everything else depends on the performance metrics of, of the university with regards to graduation rates, at retention rates, in, improving grades, all the rest of it. And suddenly the deans who, had used, who used to be in charge were being told, if you don't do better in the following ways, and by the way, we will tell you how to get there, um, then you're going to be out. And a couple of deans either left or were pushed out because they, they either couldn't or wouldn't do this. Um, but over time, um, this new leadership structure came into being where you had the data models and Tim Rennick, the student success guru of the, of the school, uh, figuring out how best to serve the students. And then the deans and the faculty and everybody else not only complying because they had to, but also seeing the data models that showed that this method worked. And so, it, you know, it started out as a kind of power struggle but it ended up being a very harmonious thing where everybody understood this was in everybody's interest and everybody looked good when everybody was thriving. Um, so they now, did this undercover? Yeah, I was just going to say, so they had to do it no, initially I mean, no, under, <laughs> undercover, but now because they have the data, there's data to follow. Other universities can follow the data, right? That's right. You know, it was only undercover to the extent that when the plan first came out, the assumption in the university was that this was something that the committee, you know, with the full backing of the university leadership had decided, whereas in fact it was Tim Rennick and his team who, who designed the plan from the get-go, and people didn't really realize that, which was a good thing, because they felt compelled to follow the plan because they felt that it was now the way the university was run from the top, which, which it was. The, the president, you know, was driving the plan as hard as he could. 
Um, but, you know, over time, as I say, um, it suddenly became, instead of educating lower-income students being seen as this chore that no one really wanted to focus on, it suddenly became the hot, exciting thing that they were doing and doing better than everybody else. And now people apply to jobs at Georgia State because they want to be part of this student success revolution. And they're, you know, this is the, the leading thing that defines the university. And it's been transformative for everybody. Well, now, the success doesn't end at the university, I'm assuming. And you've had, there's been some opportunity to trace what happens to these students or how successful they've been after they graduate. Um, is there data on that? Well, it's very difficult, and I did look into this, you know, in some detail. It's very difficult to track what happens to students after they leave university. Um, there are, you know, some models that tell you some things um, about um, how much social mobility there is in, in in groups of graduates from different universities. But what I can, you know, the most promising way of looking at this I found uh, was to look at how Georgia State was thinking about not just graduating students but also preparing them for the workplace because you know lower income students have a number of disadvantages one of them is that they tend to not go to terribly good high schools another is they don't have the family support that you know those whose parents went to college may have when dealing with a lot of these issues of, of tackling higher education and a third one is that, you know, if you come from an unconnected family, networking, finding internships, all these things become much harder. And Georgia State, frankly, was not terribly good at that piece for quite a while. And they lagged a little bit in that department. But for the last three, four years, it's been a huge priority. And they've understood that, you know, student success is going to be a meaningful term, that it also has to be how are we preparing you for the professional world? How are we making sure you're going to get a job? Um, and so one of the ways they do this is to be very mindful of what the students are learning and why they're learning it. And this is something the faculty is encouraged to think about, the students are encouraged to think about. And it doesn't mean that they're thinking about vocational courses only. It means that if they're doing English literature or if they're doing medieval philosophy or whatever it is, there's a sense of, okay, we're learning critical thinking skills, we're learning writing skills, we're, we're developing a cultural knowledge that can stand us in good stead when we're in a boardroom and people are chit-chatting about this or that. Whatever it is, um, you know, there's a sense of here's what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, and there's also been a big push to try and get Atlanta area businesses to form alliances with Georgia State so that there's a pipeline for internships, there's a pipeline for jobs, Obviously, that's been interrupted quite a bit by, by the pandemic. Um, but there is a sense, as you rightly point out, that, you know, all of this work in getting people to graduate is only meaningful if we can then get people into the workforce and really transform not only their lives, but the lives of their entire families. Um, and, you know, one important thing to bear in mind is that we now live in the United States where two-thirds of the jobs uh, that exists now and going forward uh, require some form of post-secondary education. So university education is now more important than ever, both for people who want to find jobs, but also for businesses, in, especially in thriving cities like Atlanta. Um, if they want to get the skilled workforce they need, then they need the universities not to be failing most of their students. They need, you know, they, they need graduates. And so to have an institution that's figure out, figured out how to mint those graduates in large numbers promises very well for the future, um, both for the graduates and for the economic health of the regions around the universities. 
Now, Andrew, talk to us about the article that was in uh, The Guardian yesterday, which uh, has to do with COVID-19 and how all of this this type of, of this learning and this the program at, at GSU, how that is a is working really well in the age of COVID-19. Um, and uh, right. as I understand, yeah, that gra- what the school gra- GSU graduated, what, 97, 98 percent of their class last spring. Um, which was phenomenal. Mm, that was, no. was class attendance. Class attendance was remarkably high. Um, well, you know, let, let me talk you through it a little bit. So, you know, on paper, um, the students who go to Georgia State should be the ones who are getting absolutely pummeled by the pandemic. You know, there's a large number of minority students. Minorities are getting disproportionately hit by, by the virus. Large number of lower-income students, they're getting disproportionately hit by the economic crisis and by the disease. Um, but in fact, Georgia State has done remarkably well. And the reason is because all those support systems that were in place to address crises, big and small, um, have worked. Um, whether it's been distributing the emergency financial aid from the federal government under the CARES Act and doing it quickly and efficiently and in the right amounts to the right students, whether it's making sure the students have access to uh, laptops so they can get onto their online classes, whether it's attending to their psychological troubles because they're overwhelmed or, you know, they may have troubles in the family houses they weren't expecting to have to go back to because university housing is closed down, whether it's housing insecurity, food insecurity, they have the network and the system to monitor students' well-being and then when problems arise to address them. Um, so, you know, to your point, 98.5% attendance of classes in the spring semester, and we're seeing that again now in the fall semester, Grades went up. Graduation rate in the spring went up. Um, you know, nobody's pretending that it's easy. Um, and now there's a big question about how freshmen coming into the university for the first time are going to adapt to the model when they don't have the opportunity to come to campus, to meet their advisors, to meet their fellow students, to join student clubs. You know, we don't know how that's going to work out. Everything is being replicated somewhat online, but, you know, everybody's aware that's not the same thing. Um, but, you know, I think what is true is that the, you know, you're going to do better relatively at Georgia State than pretty much anywhere else. And, you know, the other thing to point out is that if you're a public university that's very cost effective, because Georgia State is obviously much cheaper than a private college, um, and um, you also deliver a very high quality education, Georgia State ranks second or third in the nation for undergraduate teaching suddenly that's going to be very attractive, not just for lower income students, but, you know, if you're a, a student who is thinking of going to Duke or Columbia, Columbia or, you know, uh, a small private liberal arts college in, in, in New England, the prospect of spending $70,000 a year to, to be doing that online from your parents' house suddenly seems not very attractive at all, whereas enrolling somewhere like Georgia State, getting excellent education at a university that is well position to handle the crisis of the pandemic, suddenly that looks like a much better proposition. And so you're seeing record enrollment at Georgia State, record demand for, for places. And, and I think if other public universities can follow the model and deliver better, you know, better outcomes to their students in the same way, they'll be very well placed um, to be the future of education in this country. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, they talk a lot about um, resiliency um, and the resiliency of the individual and those of us who are more resilient will do better no matter what we're doing in this the age of the pandemic. But I'm thinking resiliency sort of just stands out that, uh, with the GSU. This is a resilient university and have been uh, adapting and doing the kinds of things they need to do because they are resilient since you said <clears throat> 2008 during uh, so, uh, I, I, I mean, I guess that's, that's, what, that's really what it's all about and, and just pinpointing what the issues are very specifically to each one of the, the students. But, uh, uh, that's something I think resiliency, would you agree with me? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the big revelation for me in researching this book, um, and I think it's a big revelation for people who, you know, who, who, who for the best reasons in the world, form certain assumptions about certain students is that when you meet students who come from very challenging backgrounds, who fought their way through high school to get good grades, to get admitted to, you know, a a good university like Georgia State, these are people of uncommon determination, uncommon strength of spirit, um, who are willing to take on any challenge to do what it takes, whether it's working two jobs you know, barely getting any sleep, looking after family members who may be sick, dealing with whatever other problems come along and still thrive. Um, you know, I was constantly blown away by the people I met, the kind of strength of character they had, and their stories are just, you know, heart-wrenching and heart-warming at the Tell same us, time. Tell us, you, you know, we, only, we don't have a lot of time left. It's really interesting to yeah. hear some of those stories. Tell us a couple of those. Give us, you know, tell us a couple of those stories. Well, you know, the book kicks off with the story yeah. of a student, Princeton Nelson, who was born in prison. Both his parents were caught up in the crack cocaine epidemic in, in the late 80s. His mother gave birth to him inside a prison in the Midwest. He was brought up by a grandmother. Um, he had a very you know, troubled childhood. He was thrown out of school. His, his grandmother had to discipline him many times. Uh, he got arrested, you name it. It was a mess. This is not somebody you would think would ever end up at university. He somehow in his early 20s managed to turn himself around. Um, and by the time he got to Georgia State, he was basically homeless. Um, and he managed to figure that out as well. He figured out a couple of side gigs so he could earn some money. He got his own place. He ended up graduating you know, with a very respectable GPA in, political, in computer science, excuse me, um, and is now working, you know, for a software company in Seattle and has not looked back. And, you know, he got through in part because Georgia State supported him where he needed support. They they found him financial grants. Um, they listened to him. They made him feel like he belonged. And, you know, when I talk to him, you know, to this day, he sort of feels like he's an outsider to normal life because of his background. And he studies what people do. He studies the way people hold their spoons in coffee shops, uh, obviously hasn't been able to do that in the last couple of months. Um, and, he, and he's managed to figure out how to change from somebody who had no chance in life to somebody who has every chance in life. And, you know, he benefited from many of the things that Georgia State had to offer. Uh, another example, um, very bright student by the name of Tyler Malvena came from a small town 40 miles south of Atlanta, uh, no money. Um, at the end of his freshman year at Georgia State, got caught in the kind of pickle that, that, that trips up many students in that he needed a certain number of credits to qualify for a state grant. 
he couldn't get those credits because he'd been limited in how many courses he could take. He wanted to take a travel study course to make up for that, get the credits he needed, but he couldn't afford the travel study. Uh, Georgia State came through with a grant, made sure he could pay for it. He got the, the state grant the next year. He ended up being a star student, but you know, at various junctures because of money pressures, he got sick a number of times in his junior year. There were a whole bunch of things that went wrong. His car got totaled. All these things could have easily tripped him up. As it was, he graduated with honors. He was a star student. He was a student ambassador. He, too, has gone on to a glittering career. So to see, you know, students who might be dismissed as just another statistic, you know, some black kid who failed, suddenly you go, no, this is somebody who is a remarkable human being, and if a university can recognize that and help them where they need the help, then that remarkable human being gets to be a productive, you know, member of society and to also, you know, lift their entire family out of generational cycles of poverty. It's a remarkable transformation that's going on. It is a remarkable transformation. You think about those students and, and all they had to go through to, to get to college. And then think about the students now are coming back to school's main concern is that they can't have a fraternity party or they can't hang out at the, their local bar. And, that, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, that those are some of the issues that these universities are dealing with in the age of the pandemic. Um, we only have a few minutes left. So are there, I mean, it's really exciting, uh, the, the, the whole topic, the whole, the, you know, what the university is doing. Are there websites that we can go to or that people can go to or that potential students can go to to get more information about GSU and about you and your work? Well, the Georgia State website is, is, is extraordinarily good because they're all about data. They're all about, you know, being conversant with online platforms. So, you know, if students are interested in Georgia State, if you go to gsu.edu, you will find a welter of information. If you want to look into their data and their data models and everything else, you can, you can nerd yourself out to your heart's content at their website. If you want to know more about me and my writing, my website is uh, andrewgumbel.com, G-U-M-B-E-L. Um, the book is obviously widely available. All the usual outlets, independent bookstores, independent you know, online uh, outlets, or the usual main commercial ones. Um, and you know, I've written about a great variety of things. This is actually the first time I've really written about education in any detail. I've been a teacher before. Um, and, you know, my value added here was that I had a fresh pair of eyes. I, I, I told everybody right from the start, I'm not going to put any acronyms in this book. You know, a lot of education writing is, is weighed down by a lot of technical jargon. I really tried very hard to tell the human story, both of the students and of the, the, the battles that the administrators and the university leadership had to fight to make this happen. And, and it was not a simple battle by any stretch. So, you know, I was thrilled to learn the story and to tell it. And um, I hope your listeners get to enjoy it as well. Right. Well, you tell it very well. And, and thank you for being on the show today with us. Uh, and we've been talking to author and journalist, journalist Andrew Gumbel. The book is Won't Lose This Dream, How an Upstart Urban University Rewrote the Rules of a Broken System. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you to you as well. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. And you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 